Welcome to Vegas Inc. Radio. I'm Dellen Goldberg, host of the show and business editor of Vegas Inc. and the Las Vegas Sun. Over the next half hour, we'll be discussing changes to the former Sahara, which is now becoming the SLS Las Vegas, talk about a longtime barber who's been cutting hair at the Riviera for 38 years, and examine a new food that includes sushi on a stick. But first, we turn our attention to the contentious Henderson Stadium Project, which turns out that it's probably not going to be a stadium project. Joining us now is reporter Eli Siegel. Welcome, Eagle, Eli. Hi, Dylan. Hi. So you've been all over the story involving Chris Milam and his uh, team of developers that proposed uh, not just one, but four stadiums and arenas yep. for Henderson. There were some big developments last week. What is the status of the the development? Well, basically, the city settled its lawsuit with Chris Milam, with with the lead developer on this project. And one of the key components is that Milam has basically been 86 from Henderson. He can no longer do any real estate projects or do any business, I think, for that matter, in this in the city ever again. As far as that's what was outlined in the settlement, and uh, the city attorney Josh Reed told me afterward after the hearing, the court hearing, that he doesn't know if the city has ever barred developers from doing business in this city. So this this could be a first, and that's huge. I mean, and. Not only is it huge just in and of itself, but Chris Milam is a name we've been hearing for years. This is not his first foray into no, local development. Not. No, and he's pro- he's proposed this Las Vegas National Sports Complex, I think, in a couple of other places, including near the Strip. Uh, uh, no- nothing ever happened with that. He tried to buy the Las Vegas 51s minor league baseball team, and he said he wanted to build a new stadium for them, and that never happened. So at least in Vegas, he has a history of uh, – business ideas that went nowhere. And then the Henderson City Council, through their support about a year and a half ago behind his behind this Las Vegas National Sports Complex uh, down in Henderson over by the M Resort, and now it's just it turned into a total fiasco. Now, looking back, and we'll get more into this in a little bit, but what gave them the confidence after the string of failed proposals? Why did they think this one would be different? That's a great question, and I really don't know. It's a big question that a lot of people have, which is, why did they think that this would work here? I mean, he had tried to build this in other areas around the city, as we just talked about, and he's a, and he's got a mixed track record of developments, and it's really unclear. I, I think the city figured now. You know, keep in mind this project site is literally dirt. It's all desert down by the M Resort down in South Henderson. And maybe, this is just a guess, but maybe the city figured, you know what, if this guy wants to try and do something down there, let's give him a shot. It's going to be privately financed. We're not putting any money towards it. We don't even own the land because the land is actually owned by the U.S. Bureau of Land Management, and Milam had to have uh, bought it from them. So maybe they just figured, why not? What, what's the risk? Yeah, I guess you can't go wrong with desert, um, except maybe for some tortoises. <laughs> I guess not, yeah. Um, so the status of the project, obviously, Milam, you just said, is out yeah, from Milam's the city. Out. But that doesn't mean at least some sort of development for the land is completely off the table. Correct. Yeah, the city has not ruled out future developments at this site. And technically, his project is still alive. It never died. It never failed. It was 
coming really close. It was kind of teetering on the edge there for a while and, and looked like it was about to collapse because he had actually tried to pull out of the deal, which actually prompted the lawsuit to begin with uh, by the city of Henderson claiming the whole uh, deal was a fraud. Because he wanted to build houses there and sell them off. Or... That's what the city claimed. Yeah, basically that, that, that was the whole gist of the lawsuit is that he was pushing these plans for stadiums and, and sports arenas really as a way, and again, according to the city, this is what they alleged, but really as a way just to buy cheap public land from the BLM and, to, and then to flip it to home builders. So the city now, you know, as it stands, they're okay with any development down there. They're okay with arenas and stadiums if other people want to build them. That's what it's zoned for. But they're not okay with single-family homes, which is what Milam was allegedly secretly pursuing. And is that just because they have a bad taste in their mouth or because we don't need it here in the valley? My guess is that they probably don't want to extend, uh, you know, sewer lines and water lines and, and infrastructure down there. It's a very expensive process to build out raw land for development, especially down there where you don't have. There's very little residential uh, development down there. You get a couple scattering of of homes and some unfinished developments. Uh, it's re- it's really just all desert down there. And and frankly, I, I think they see it as a bigger economic boon to have a major entertainment venue because Henderson, as anyone who lives around here can tell you, has plenty of housing as it is. There's de- there are developments all over the place. So Absolutely, and more coming up every day. It's, it sure seems that way. Um, so what's the likelihood that we will see some sort of arena or stadium or entertainment complex on the site? Personally, I think it's pretty low as of right now. There are a couple factors behind that. One is that just in general, the major league franchises like Major League Baseball, National Football League, uh, National Hockey League, uh, so forth, the four major sports leagues in the U.S., I'm told are very hesitant about allowing teams to even come to Vegas because this is the gambling mecca of America and they're worried about the influence that could have on the games. So there are and there are professional teams here, but they are minor league, like the Las Vegas 51s baseball, the Las Vegas Wranglers hockey team. But but again, those are minor league teams, and uh, I suspect this is just a guess, but I don't think there's very much betting that goes on with those games. Um, so that's five on the Wranglers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's one reason. And then another reason is it's very tough to get financing right now for a major project. Just in general, uh, construction financing is very tight unless you're coming in with a lot of money that you can put down. Or frankly, if you, uh, that's the only way you'll get a loan. Other than that, I think to do a major project, you're going to have to build it yourself and finance it yourself. So it's going to be very tough to find a lender out there that's willing to spend and risk literally hundreds of millions of dollars for a project that no one's quite sure a team will even commit to moving to because these stadiums are not cheap. I mean, you're looking at a minimum for an indoor arena. You're looking at a minimum of 300 to $400 million. Uh, the going price now for a, a modern standard football stadium is a billion dollars. And, wow. and, and Milam wanted to build you know, one arena and three stadiums, one of which was a football stadium. So, I mean, it was just a a huge project that, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight now, but it just didn't look like it was ever possible to pull off. Now, you talked to several um, developers and people intimately involved in building these stadiums, and you told me four of them essentially laughed when you said there was no team signed up to move in. Yeah, they they chuckled and, and laughed at a couple things. You know, one was just the scope of the project and give it coupled with the fact that it was purely speculative that to them was kind of a joke because it's it's literally unheard of uh, you do occasionally see plans 
for a speculative arena or stadium, and you almost never see them actually getting built. I think, you know, one of the uh, developers I talked with, this is a guy, he lives in Alabama, and he's worked on a lot of uh, pro sports arenas and stadiums as an owner's rep, basically overseeing the construction on behalf of the owners. Um, He's worked on a number of these projects around the country, and he told me that to build just to build for them is just it's just unheard of basically and and the only one that he can think of that actually got built was in 1993 in San Antonio, Texas. It was the Alamo Dome. Uh, the city of San Antonio built it as a way to get an NFL team, but they never got one. And so instead, the facility, which, I, which I've heard is actually pretty nice, is used for conventions and entertainment and trade shows and stuff like that. So it does get used, but that's literally the only one that he can think of. And that was you know 20 years ago. Well, and we have no dearth here of convention space and meeting rooms, arenas for concerts and the like. Yeah, Vegas has plenty of that, that's for sure. Does this have any bearing on the other stadium projects that we're hearing about MGM or UNLV now, or is this a different It's a good animal? question. That's, that's a really good question. I, my guess is probably not, but only because Milam is such a unique character with such a checkered past that, as, as a lot of city officials will tell you, um, that it's, it's, it's kind of an isolated thing, and his project was so massive that it's and it's so unlike anything else that's being proposed in in, in Vegas, including like you said the UNLV, UNLV now and the other uh, strip area uh, stadiums that are being floated right now. That I, I don't think you can even really compare them. Do you think we'll be hearing more from Chris Milam in the future, or you think he's going to move to a different city where maybe he can do business with stadiums? <sighs> Well, he's not going to be doing anything in Henderson, that's for sure. And as for whether he'll do anything in Vegas, I would be shocked if he tries to propose anything big or, frankly, anything for that matter in the Vegas Valley ever again because I think this project has just (laughs) – anyone who does their homework and if he's proposing a project – Anyone can do their homework very easily and find out that that there's a very strong possibility that, that there could be some hiccups. Absolutely. What about his team, the other people who got caught up in this? Do you think their careers are over or they'll recover and this is just a blip on their radar? I think for them it's going to be much easier to recover from this deal and from this lawsuit than, than for Milam. Uh, in terms of career prospects and getting, uh, you know, and doing other projects and whatnot. And you know, it's never good to get sued. Obviously, it's it's something that you have to account for, and people are going to ask about it. But you know, unfortunately, you know, it, people do get sued all the time, and things get settled, and 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 you move on. And so it, it is kind of the it is relatively normal. You know, it's kind of sad to say, but people, especially in real estate, you know, you see a lot of lawsuits in real estate. Lots of accusations fly, and so lawsuits are kind of common. And, and people bounce back, and they go on and have fantastic careers and make a lot of money and do great projects, and, and it's really just a hiccup for them. It's just a blip. Uh, so I think for the others, it, it'll, be, it'll be easier. But you know, one in particular, John Marciano, he will probably uh, have a tough time, uh, at least in the coming years, because he was the former city attorney for Henderson, and he was one of the lawyers on Milam. And he has uh, what he says is the oldest law firm in Henderson. He's been around a very long time. He works on a lot of projects. He has a very well-known name and, and works with a lot of developers. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with him and with his practice. So it'll be uh, you know something to follow, that's for sure. Well, thanks so much, Eli.
You can follow all of Eli's coverage at VegasInc.com or LasVegasSun.com. You're listening to Vegas Inc. Radio, part of Waking Up with the Sun. We're here every Monday at 7 a.m. on KUNV 91.5 The Source. Joining us now is Ron Sylvester. Welcome, Ron. Hi. So you're here to talk about a couple things, but first let's start with um, some big news on the Strip. Uh, The iconic camel sign of the former Sahara came down last week and was replaced by signage for the new SLS Las Vegas, which is coming, we believe, in 2014. And you got an inside peek into the renovations and construction. Tell us what's going on with the property. Well, they're uh, uh, just tearing it up right now. They're doing all the demolition, and uh, they actually started, uh, they, they started inside. And then last week, they actually started doing stuff on the outside. So you saw the sign come down with the um, uh, 70 foot, those are 70 foot uh, letters that spelled out Sahara. And um, they, 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 uh, the, the construction guys said they weren't sure, um, you know, how big they were until they got them down. Because up on the sign, they look a lot smaller. But when you get them down, and, they, and he, he said they ended up being about 70 feet tall. And uh, so, and then the um, uh, Port Couture, uh, the big dome, uh, thing uh, came down last week, and they were tearing that apart the the day we were left. But really, they're just gutting uh, the inside of the whole place, stripping it down to the um, concrete walls, and then they're going to redo it. Uh, the conga room's gone, and the coffee shop's gone, the buffet's gone, and they're really peeling back the the uh, um, uh, what was the check-in desks to, to make a bigger lobby area. And this is part two of the rundown. A couple years ago, they had the liquidation sale where they sold all the camel lamps and furniture. Um, so that that this is the completion of the, the old Sahara really is gone. The transformation into the SLS. And, and um, while a lot of people in Las Vegas uh, may not be familiar with SLS, and we were kind of joking um, uh, earlier that... Uh, you know, we've got so many um, letters now uh, in casinos. We got the TI, we got PH, and we've got as now we got SLS, uh, the M, MGM Grand, and so it's kind of becoming an alphabet soup there on the strip. But the um, uh, but 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 the SLS brand is something that uh, um, SBE. Here's the, uh, these other letters, but the company that owns it is really building across the country. They've uh, got one in Beverly Hills. They just opened one in Miami that's supposed to be doing uh, gangbusters. I mean, it's it's going beyond their expectation. They're opening one this year in New York. Las Vegas opens next year, and then they open another in Seattle. So they are building this luxury hotel brand. And uh, while I still run into people in Las Vegas to say, well, SLS, what's that? And But, but across the country, in the uh, luxury uh, resort community they're they're building this and so um, Las Vegas will will they think benefit from it and SBE has all sorts of hotel entertainment real estate club holdings it's owned and run by Sam Nazarian who has other projects here in Las Vegas yeah Hyde Bellagio those kinds of things uh, which which uh, you know they really you know they they started the uh, they started the uh, Hyde nightclub at the Bellagio just to get their feet wet so they understand how business worked uh, in, in Las Vegas so it's really kind of a um, you know it, it it really sounds like a smart way to doing it. They're not just diving into the marketplace. They're coming in and gradually trying to learn and understand it. 
And this is going to be more of the boutique feel kind of hotel, unlike the Genting project that we heard about, no theme. Um, last we heard about $475 million. Is that still on track? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, still, they're still on track to uh, uh, do it and get it completed by the, the fall of uh, 2014. But they're just in the early stages. Like I said, they're just gutting the place. And it's kind of interesting. It's, it's very cavernous in there. And... Um, but uh, and, and and about the only thing really left that you can recognize inside is the uh, the real ornate um, pillars that are holding up the ceiling. But I'm sure those will be changed too. So where do they go from here? They they're gutting it and then they start rebuilding. Yeah, then they they're, they're going to have to start rebuilding now. Um, SBE has done this before um, in their uh, in both uh, uh, Beverly Hills and. Uh, Miami and, and and in New York too, they're currently underway with that. They're, they took old buildings and they're renovating them, and instead of tearing them down and building new ones. But this is a totally different thing. Uh, the construction uh, manager, uh, the project manager, uh, was telling me because he said most of their hotels are three hundred to six hundred rooms. This is sixteen hundred rooms. Used to be more than seventeen hundred, but they're putting in suites, you know some of the high end suites, which has taken up some rooms. So it'll end up being about uh, you know 1600 and some rooms but that's kind of what they're working on next they've got a couple of model rooms and they're not showing them to anybody yet because they're not going to right now they don't even resemble what they're going to but what they do is they set up um, um, rooms and then um, Philippe Stark, um, who's the designer, he comes in, and that's where they test the carpet. I mean, they actually put in different kinds of carpet, different kinds of furniture, different colors, where they experiment with them, and that, and 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 they really use those rooms. Uh, they build rooms inside of these rooms, and then they, um, you know, and that's how they design, you know, what will be the final hotel room. So they're just in the early stages of that. Interesting. And um, do we know? What it's going to look like in the end? I mean, obviously sleek and modern. But yeah, we've seen some. Uh, you know, they've 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 got some models. Uh, we've run some uh, uh, photos uh, in in Vegas Inc. But yeah, it's going to be very. You know, like you said, ultra sleek, modern. Uh, their um, uh, retail center is going to be Fred Siegel. Uh, all run by Fred Siegel. Um, you know, uh, most of the retail places and other casinos, they have various brands, but this is going to be one brand, uh, very high-end uh, uh, fashion, um, out, you know, fashion uh, stores, and, um, you know, right from Rodeo Drive. And uh, they're going to be uh, what... Uh, uh, I mean, they're 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 going to have the brand, and they're trying to build this whole SLS thing around certain brands, um, uh, both from the SBE Entertainment part and uh, from Fred Siegel. So it'll be very, you know, it, it, it'd be very boutique, I think. That'll be great. And any um, vestiges of the Sahara? Are we going to find hidden camels in the carpeting or behind? I don't think pillars? no. They're ripping it all out. They're ripping it all out. And and the um, uh, and 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 I saw the logo uh, for the SLS Las Vegas, and um, um, it's a uh, um, um, monkey swinging on the chandeliers. It looks really fun. So. Awesome. Camels, we're replacing camels with monkeys. There you go. Well, I, I know some people, you know, that old school piece of Las Vegas, a lot of our history is gone, but it sounds like it's ushering in a new new excitement and a new 
chapter for that part of the strip. Well, and, and, and one thing, I mean, this isn't going the way of the, the sands and the desert inn. I mean, the building is still going to be, you know, the building and, and the casino, uh, the shell of it is still going to be there. Uh, they're, they're not uh, blowing it down and, and building up another one. So, uh, so in some aspects, people will still be able to recognize parts of the the, the Sahara because it will be the same building, but some of the, you know, uh, uh, yes, some 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 of the decorative parts are just going to be gone. Great. Well, let's move down the strip a little bit to the Riviera, um, one of our older hotels as well, and um, part of its history includes Neil Scartosi, who is uh, a barber at the Riviera, at the Celebrity Club uh, Barber Salon, and he's been there for almost four decades. Yeah, uh, 38 years and moved here when he was 24 from Detroit, uh, where he worked in a, uh, a, a mob-run barbershop. It was kind of uh, interesting, uh, you know, the stories he would tell about that. Uh, so that they actually ran illegal gambling, um, you know, in the back rooms, and more people were waiting to get into the illegal gambling part than were there to get their hair cut. So, but, but he ended up moving out to Las Vegas. Um, uh, guy brought in a um, uh, newspaper uh, after he came to Las Vegas, and, and uh, Neil saw um, a want ad that the MGM Grand, now the old MGM Grand, not the present one, was looking for a barber. So he just packed up and moved out here and um, uh, got hired, uh, did a little dealing on the side, and then ended up... Uh, uh, opening, um, you know, ended up actually owning the barbershop inside the Riviera. And beyond his claim to fame as a pretty claimed and known barber, he's heard stories and actually has helped give some mobsters advice. He knows everyone in this town. Yeah, um, uh, the, he, he was uh, telling me the story about uh, uh, Tony Spilatro being in there and, uh, talk, you know, and complaining about, while well, he was getting his hair cut, complaining about... Um, the FBI using binoculars and trying to read uh, his lips. And uh, Neil said, well, I just told him, why not just chew a toothpick? And then they can't read your lips. And then years later, um, the, the the movie Casino, which was based on uh, Lefty Rosenthal and Spilatro, had that scene in it. And he got a big kick out of that because that was his idea. He shaved Telly Savalas's head, one of my favorite stories uh, for uh, Kojak. He was the guy who shaved Telly Savalas's head. He's worked on uh, Robert Redford and cut Tom Selleck's hair, um, two of you know uh, kind of iconic matinee idols, uh, whose hair was really important to him. Uh, Bill Cosby, Red Buttons, Milton Berle, and he's had quite a clientele over the years. An interesting story about Milton Berle. Apparently, he couldn't come into the salon until he knew a couple important facts. No, yeah, he would call up. Uh, uh, Neil said uh, Milton Berle would call up, and he'd want to know what the temperature was in there, what was playing on the radio, all these details before he came down to get his hair cut, and it was just something he did. That's amazing. And ironically, um, Neil Scartosi, the barber, himself looks like Wayne Newton. He does. I, I, you know, I was sitting there and I was interviewing him the whole time, and I kept thinking, this guy looks like Wayne Newton. And and you know, he he never kind of brought it up, and 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 I, I didn't know how to um, get into this with him. And so I just asked him. I said, "Has anybody told you you look like Wayne Newton?" And he said, "Oh, that's a, that, that that's something we forgot to talk about." And it turns out that uh, in past years, uh, Neil has 
played Wayne Newton as an impersonator in the Legends show. He's been hired to be Wayne Newton at uh, like openings or you know or impersonate Wayne Newton at openings at corporate events at conventions. And um, one of the um, uh, one of the cocktail waitresses had said that that he used to walk through the. Uh, uh, Riviera on his way to work, and people would stop and say, "That's Wayne Newton," and they'd say, <laughs> "No, no, it's just the barber," you know. But uh, but no, and he does. He also kind of. I, I asked him if anybody had asked if anybody had ever said he looked like Robert Goulet because when you know uh, he has that same. He could he he could also be Robert Goulet. Now, has he cut either of their hair? Do you know? Uh, no, no. He in fact, he's never met Wayne Newton. Um, he's he's tried to on a couple occasions, but uh, I don't I don't know whether Wayne likes him impersonating him or not. He <laughs> he never has gotten any feedback from Wayne, but he never met him. So, gotcha. And he obviously over thirty eight years, he's seen a ton. What are some of the changes he's described for the Riviera or Las Vegas in general? Well, you know, I mean, he's. When he started at the Riviera 38 years ago, that was like the prime, you know, property on the Strip. It was like uh, the Cosmopolitan is today, and he, uh, you know, so so he was there in really the glamour years. And you know, since then, I mean, the Riviera has been in bankruptcy several times. It it, it has gone through, but you know, it's uh, the Riviera is like the dude. It abides, you know, and it keeps going. And uh, he has, you know, seen. You know, seen you know, seen it weather the storm, and you know, seen a lot of the same people who are uh, you know who are valets, who are uh, bellhops, who are uh, cocktail waitresses. You know, they've stayed there, and so it's been kind of a family. And and he said, you know, the the things like nine eleven and um, the the Great Recession. One thing it it did teach him is that Las Vegas always comes back. It always bounces back, and uh, it, it's, it's given him a lot of confidence in this uh, city. And even now, he expects bright things for his barbershop in the Riviera. And yeah, the no, Strip. he's not planning on going anywhere. And and uh, one of the uh, things I love about uh, Neil is he uh, he's been um, he's been divorced for like. I think 18, 20 years, and he still works with his ex-wife. I mean, she's a barber in the shop. She co-owns the shop. They said, well, you know, they didn't want to give up the shop when they got divorced and they had to split everything. So they And, and they, they're not married. They don't live together, uh, but they still work together every single day and still get along. I mean, it's it's, it's great. I have, I have, uh, uh, I have you know, ex-wives that won't go to a movie uh, with me, but the, this guy works with his every day, and it's and, and more power to him. They 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 get along. Uh, he and Sylvia they get along great, and they're they're just a fantastic and very interesting people. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. And before we end our uh, episode for this week, I have to ask you about. Sushi in a Tube, um, Sushi Poppers. It's a new product that is coming here uh, to Las Vegas. It's going to be debuted um, shortly. And in fact, the company has offices here in Las Vegas. Tell us what it is. Well, Sushi Poppers, I mean, you remember those old... um, like push-ups that you would get with the the ice cream yes. and the sor- sorbet in it when you were a kid. Well, you never. I, I don't know. I, I I never said to myself, you know, I wish this was raw fish. But um, but 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 evidently, it's really taken off. Uh, San Diego company uh, several years ago uh, made this uh, made these sushi poppers, and then they've um, gone into uh, a partnership with uh, a local uh, catering company, and they're going to manufacture these. And of course, they have to be. Man- 
manufactured in the same town uh, because it's it is it's sushi and so it's made fresh every day they sell it the same day but it comes in this self-contained thing where you push it up like one of those push-up pops and with and, a stick and, get, and everything yeah and yeah well and the stick actually comes off and it's hollow and that's that's where your soy sauce is so you pull the stick off you uh, sprinkle the soy sauce from the hollow stick into the sushi and then you can stick the stick back on the bottom and push it up well, now, I, you know, I have to say, I, I, we've talked about this in the office, and some people immediately say, ew, gross. Other people think it's genius. But the the business model behind it is to sell it at stadiums and ski slopes. and They've even got some schools. I, You know, I can't think of a lot of my kids, uh, you know, clamoring for this. But in uh, Southern California, they've got some schools that they service. And uh, they're uh, the, one of the first places that you'll be able to get them in Las Vegas is at uh, Rehab at uh, the Hard Rock. So that'll be interesting because then you've got... Uh, topless, um, bikini-clad uh, women and trying to push up sushi on a pop. Yeah, with their boozy ice cream. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that'll be interesting. Well, great. Thanks so much, Ron, as always, for being a guest on our show. I love being here. We'll have to have you back. Uh, Ron Sylvester is a reporter for Vegas Inc. and the Las Vegas Sun. You can follow his coverage at VegasInc.com and LasVegasSun.com. This is Vegas Inc. Radio, part of Waking Up With The Sun. We're here every Monday at 7 a.m. on KUNV 91.5 The Source. I'm your host, Dellen Goldsberg, business editor of Vegas Inc. and the Las Vegas Sun. Thanks to Steven Zeller, our producer, and the entire KUNV team. And thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your day. Thank you.